0: All right, beloved, good morning. You're going to open to two texts, Isaiah 40 and 1 Chronicles 29. You can have your finger in 1 Chronicles 29. We'll get to there in a few minutes. We continue our study, the attributes of God. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you. For your abundant grace, the glorious gospel, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of your Holy Spirit, your word this Lord's day, your people, we thank you. Grant us grace to understand something more about you this day as we continue to study these attributes, the attributes of you, Almighty God, we pray for Christ's sake, amen. All right, the attributes of God, when we study God's attributes in one sense, um, we come aiming to learn more about God, and the more we learn about God, we come to realize um, the less we know. Going to get a witness about that. Yeah, it's true. The the, the fact that he is certainly beyond our understanding, and we look there at Isaiah 40, verse 28, we read, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Unsearchable. Now thus far we've studied the aseity of God, that is the self-existence of God. He, he needs no thing, he needs no one. We looked into the eternality of God, the infinitude of God, and last time the omnipresence of God, the fact that there is no place God is not. There is no place God is not. In um, every attribute... Of God, we are shown his divine power. Divine power is omnipotence. He is all-powerful. God has supreme, absolute power. All power, we read, belongs to God. Omnipotence is called the word or command of God. For instance, in Psalm thirty-three six, we read, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He commanded, and it stood still. God spoke light, and there was light. God spoke matter, and there was matter. For he alone is all-powerful and all-knowing. We read in Psalm 147, verse 5, he's responsible for all of creation. And in Genesis 17:1 he says of himself, I am God Almighty. Almighty. So omniscience and omnipotence, his all-knowingness, his all-powerfulness, um, are divine traits that explain our next attribute of focus, and that is the absolute sovereignty of God. It's almost redundant, absolute sovereignty. God is sovereign. Sovereign. God is sovereign. He is in control of his universe, which is to say nothing um, in his universe, um, no thing, no event occurs without God's preordained will. Sovereign God. There is no thing, no creature, no circumstance, no galaxy, no person, no spirit, including the devil himself that is outside of the sovereign control of God. Luther put it best in Bondage of the Will when he said, the devil is God's devil. R.C. Sproul famously said this, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. End of quote. God has the power, God has the knowledge to prevent anything he chooses to prevent. We'd all agree with that, amen? We'd all agree with that. So anything that does happen, anything that happens in in time and space... Um, must, at the very least, be allowed by God. I think we would all agree with that. But that, of course, begs the question, doesn't it? Is there anything that sovereign God allows that he hasn't predestined, predetermined to allow? Is there anything that sovereign God allows that he has not preordained or predestined to allow? Of course not. Of course not. We never want to fall prey to the notion, beloved, that somehow there, there are two cosmic powers vying for victory, God and the devil. Never make that mistake. Psalm 115, verse 3, we read this Our God is in the heavens. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Whatever. That is unrivaled sovereignty. The Bible knows nothing, in other words, of dualism. The Bible knows nothing about some rival power to the will or rule of Almighty God. He is the supreme ruler of all things, past, present, and future. Not a lot of power, but sovereign willed power. Amen? Sovereign willed power is the Lord's. And apart from his unrivaled rule and reign, we, we read that glorious promise in Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Which things? All things. Now the best Paul could have said if there was some type of dualism um, that, that existed The best he could say with regard to Romans 8 is that we know God is trying to work all things together for the good. Right? He's trying. He's doing the best that he can with the circumstances and doing the best he can in light of our free will. And the best he can with a mean devil in a fallen world. Look, it's confidence in God's sovereignty that gives teeth to Romans 8.28. Amen? It's confidence in his sovereignty. God's sovereignty, as Steve Lawson says, is the bedrock of Scripture. Lawson goes on to say this, quote, The Mount Everest of biblical teaching... The towering truth that transcends all theologies, the sovereignty of God. From its opening verse, the Bible asserts in no uncertain terms that God is and that God reigns. In other words, he is God. Not merely in name, but in full reality. God does as he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, how he pleases, and with whom he pleases. End of quote. So his sovereignty is obviously a natural consequence of his omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. We've we've touched on those over the weeks. Now what some try to debate is this. (laughs) To what extent does God apply his sovereignty? That that question only makes the hair stand up on my neck. (laughs) Right? Right? To to, to what extent does he apply his sovereignty? Especially when we consider disasters, calamities. You know, they'll say, isn't he able to prevent these things? Was his arm too short to cause the gun to misfire before 20 people were killed? Or to cause a young man to have a single car wreck before he commits his miserable crime, things like that. You know, before the ash settled during 9-11, as they were going through the rubble of the Twin Towers, what was the number one question posed to Christian leaders? Where was God when this happened? Where was he? Couldn't he have prevented this? That was the question. Typically, it's always the question. But but the Bible says much more, beloved, does it not, than simply God could have prevented it. The Bible says all things occur according to the counsel of his will. All things in the Bible means all things. All things work together according to the counsel of his will. He has all power. He has all authority. He has all rule and all reign over all things is what the Bible declares. That's our little introduction. Now we'll look at 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12. Says King David, King David, the greatest king of Israel, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory And the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen Everyone. Notice, again, Israel's greatest king, David. Was in no way confused about who's in charge. (laughs) A lover of God. God himself rules. Look at Psalm 47, verses 7 and 8. This is one of the songs of Korah. You remember Korah? Number 16, who who led the first um, egalitarian revolt. Some of his offspring survived being swallowed up by the earth. And here they are. And we read this For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. So God is king. That's the language. God is king, and he actually rules. He actually reigns over all nations. Remember this, beloved. Israel was surrounded by polytheistic nations. They had a God for everything. These territorial gods, right? God God of the mountains, God of the valleys, God of the river, God of this and God of that. Territorial deities. The, the one true and living God, those are all false gods, pagan created gods. The, the God of Israel, the one true and only God, is Lord of heaven and earth. King, notice, King of the land, king over the sea, king over everything and everyone, including nations, including nations. It's very important we understand this with regard. To the sovereign rule of God. God's rule establishes all other rules. His kingdom establishes all other kingdoms. He is the king of kings. Lord of lords. His dominion establishes all other dominions. The king of the nations, Sovereign ruler who reigns. We read this throughout. So from... Uh, In Old Testament perspective, God is the one who rules over the Philistines. He rules over the Hittites. He rules over the Babylonians. And he rules over, of all people, the wicked Assyrians. Assyrians is basically a synonym for bad people. (laughs) Bad people. He rules not only over kind nations... He reigns also over cruel, violent, and vicious nations that are not outside of his sovereign control. Never have been. They are under the direct rule and reign of God who sits on his holy throne. Verse 8, Psalm 47. Consider Assyria. 7 B.C., 7th century B.C., 700 years before our Lord came to this earth. They were a vicious, violent nation. Vicious and violent, ruthless. In 722 B.C., they come wreaking havoc with the northern kingdom. They overtake Samaria, brutalize the people. They deport tens of thousands of Israelites and import thousands of foreign prisoners, and their attempt there was to breed out the nationalism of the northern kingdom. Wicked. Absolutely brutal. What do we read about them in Isaiah 10? Look at it. God refers to Assyria as nothing more than an axe handle in his hand. An axe handle. Is the axe to boast itself over one who chops with it? It is the the saw to exalt itself, is the saw rather to exalt itself over the one who wields it. An axe handle. I am the one who has wielded Assyria's power to accomplish my purpose. That's what God is saying, to accomplish my purpose. Now, are they morally responsible because of their evil intention? Absolutely. Absolutely they are. But God used Assyria as the rod of chastisement and justice for his covenant people. And who are you to ask questions, says the Lord? So Isaiah 10, you can read it later this afternoon, verses 5 through 19, we read that who's the primary cause of this atrocious act? God. Secondary cause is Assyria in order to judge God's people. If God doesn't restrain evil, all hell will break loose. He orders it. He establishes thrones, kingdoms, dominions, meaning everyone in power throughout time. Everyone who is in a a throne or in positions of authority are there by the preordained will of God. Make no mistake about it, including benevolent kings, ruthless kings, dictators, and elected democratic officials. They're all in positions of their authority placed there according to the sovereign will of the king of kings, almighty God. Psalm 93, verse 1, look at it. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. So there we have divine sovereignty and divine eternality coming together. Those two verses. And by the way, divine sovereignty in scripture is not fodder for theological debate. Yeah, amen. Amen. It's not fodder for debate. It's a reason for rejoicing, actually. And it's something you must remind yourself of and repeat to yourself over and over again as you watch the evening news, if indeed you watch the evening news. God is sovereign. I find myself saying that to myself regularly when I'm ready to pull my hair out, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And then you back up and go, wait a minute. I can go, I could find crazier stuff than that in the Old Testament. You think this is bad? God is sovereign. And, and then you and you rest in that truth. His decrees are being worked out according to the counsel of his what? Will. His will. Look at Amos 3 6. Does disaster befall a city unless the Lord has done it? We pass over texts like that quite often, or we don't want to meditate on those texts. That is to say, beloved, God's will, God's will is absolutely determinative. Not man's will, God's will. His preordained, decreed will is decisive. decisive. Well, why pray then? Because it's a means to his end. Why evangelize? Because it's a means to his end. Amen? Now, God being sovereign, does that mean it answers all the mysteries of life? No, it doesn't answer the mysteries of life. We're not going to have all of the answers. Most often, we're not going to have all the answers. We don't know what God is doing many times. And sometimes it makes the, the mysteries even bigger. God's sovereignty. We're on a need-to-know basis. God lets us know what he wants us to know. Amen? That's enough. And we, we trust. And we can trust him because he's what? Sovereign. The more mysterious, the more faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The more confounding, the more faith required. To trust God, who is what? Sovereign. And he's sovereign over what? All things. Okay, now I don't have these listed for you, you can either write them down, and we're gonna, I'm going to rattle through them quickly, or you can listen later on online and go back. Okay, all things means all things, all right? And it includes, okay, here we go, the fall of sparrows, Matthew 10, the rolling of dice, Proverbs 16, the slaughter of his people, Psalm 44, the decisions of kings, Psalm Proverbs 21, the failing of sight, Exodus 4, the sickness of children, 2 Samuel 12, the loss of gain, And the loss of the gain of money, 1 Samuel 2, the suffering of saints, 1 Peter 4, the completion of travel plans, James 4. The persecution of Christians, Hebrews 12 and Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. The repentance of souls, 2 Timothy 2. The gift of faith, Philippians 1. The pursuit of holiness, Philippians 3. The growth of believers, Hebrews 6. The giving of life and taking in death, 1 Samuel 2. And the crucifixion of his beloved son, Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. All things. All things. So scripture for us puts in, in, into proper rank who is who. And it reminds me, I'm really not in control. And I don't want to be. But God is. He is the king and his will is determinative. Now, after a supporting list of scriptures like that, even the garden variety Arminian will concede at this point, at least from my experience. He will concede until they hear God is sovereign over all things, including salvation, including the salvation of souls. Then God's will is not determinative. In many, an Arminian, has written things like this. And and again, this is semi-Pelagian or Arminian thinking. If you don't know the history of those views, you can go back and listen to a series we did on the doctrines of grace, I think 2014. It typically goes like this. God is sovereign... But because he is a gentleman, they say, he always allows man's will to be determinative and thus it is truly free. By simply reading your Bible, by opening this book and reading, you quickly realize that is absolutely not true. It's not true. Only God's will is determinative. Only his will. Man does not sit in the heavens and do whatever he desires. Only God does. See, the stubborn claim of libertarian free will is at the heart of Arminian theology, which is man-centered theology. Again, Stephen Lawson, quote, Nowhere is God's sovereignty more clearly demonstrated than in his salvation of the lost. God is free to bestow his saving mercy on whom he pleases. God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He is not obligated to extend his grace to any undeserving sinner. If he were to choose to save none, he would remain perfectly just. He might determine to save a few and still be absolutely holy, or he could choose to save all. But God is sovereign, and that means he is entirely free to bestow his grace however he will, whether on none, few, or all. End of quote. So, in a very real sense, our Arminian semi Pelagius thinking. Is really the religion a natural man? If you study it out historically. Now, according to their man centered theology, Arminians, you can't honestly sing Amazing Grace. It goes like this Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed.'" Now, according to their man-centered theology, they'd have to retitle that song and change the lyrics. It would be entitled, Arminian Grace. To the tune of Amazing Grace... With apologies to John Newton, we go like this. Arminian grace, how strange the sound. Salvation hinged on me. I once was lost, then turned around, was blind, then chose to see. What grace is it that calls for choice, made, some, made from some good within, that part that wills to heed God's voice proved stronger than my sin. Through many ardent gospel pleas, I sat with heart of stone, but then some hidden good in me propelled me toward my home. When we've been there 10,000 years because of what we've done, we've no less days to sing our praise than when we first begun. Funny, but true. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I didn't write that up. Someone did. Author unknown. As ridiculous as it is, that's how ridiculous Arminian theology is with regard to the salvation of souls. Let's look at salvation. Isaiah 52 verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Okay, that's the gospel, the good news. That's the gospel. Who announces peace, that's fruit of the gospel. And brings good news of happiness, right? Again, fruit of the gospel. Who announces salvation, that's heart of the gospel. And says to Zion, your God reigns. Context? The gospel. Your God reigns. That means his sovereignty is is part and parcel to the gospel. It's his gospel. He reigns. So apart from the sovereignty of God, in the gospel is only theoretical good news, not, not certain good news, not sure good news. So if... The gospel were simply a message that, you know, God can save sinners. He he, he can bring peace. He, 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 He can if they only let him. He can if. Their free will allows him. That ultimately is not good news because of that antecedent with regard to Man's what? Total, total depravity. Totally depraved. It's just like the rebels of, of Psalm 2. Without the grace of God invading our lives, we'll cry out like those of Psalm 2. We will not have this Lord. We will not have this anointed one rule over us. Let's burst their bonds apart. That's where you would be, but by the grace of God. The sovereign grace of God. So that which is needed with the good news, the good news of the gospel of Almighty God, the good news of peace, the good news of happiness, what's needed is God. God is needed to bring condemned sinners into the category of no condemnation by way of his sovereign grace. Sovereign enough, powerful enough to, to bring sinners from rebellion to submission. It's supernatural, amen? Salvation is supernatural. The supernatural work of Almighty God. Or you will remain like those in Psalm 2, shaking your fist at God. We will not submit. We will not have this Lord and his, his anointed ruling over us trying to burst off their bonds. So, fallen man is free indeed. Fallen man is free to choose what he desires, but fallen man left to himself will only choose his desires which are wicked, wicked. The most wicked of which is, I'm a good enough person to stand before God. That's wicked. Left to himself, he lacks in his freedom, which is bound to his sinful, fallen nature. He lacks the moral ability to come to Christ. That's why God is needed. Needed. It's required that he save sinners. Sovereign Lord. So as long as the sinner remains in his flesh, unregenerate, he will never choose Christ. Amen? Amen? Regeneration is not a work that man does. It's a supernatural work God does. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. He can't understand it. He'll never enter it. He cannot choose Christ precisely because he cannot act against his own will. And his fallen will is to run from God, to shake their fist at God. So yeah, he's free all right. But again, his will is bound to his nature which is totally depraved, has no recuperative ability in and of itself to change for the glory of God. It takes God. His fall is so great, it takes the effectual call of God, this sovereign, almighty God, working in their heart, working in the heart of sinner, the sinner and sinners, to transform their allegiances. And we saw this in the ministry of Jesus, did we not? The rich young ruler. You remember the the correspondence there? And when he went away saddened, his disciples turned to him and he said, Lord, who then can be saved? And Jesus answered, with men, it is what? It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, meaning it's only God's power that can save a sinner like that rich young ruler who just went away, sad. And in context of that situation, Jesus is basically saying it's only God who has the power to separate that man from his idols and to turn to the living God. He'll never do it on his own. With man, this is impossible. Only God has the power to transform this young man and to have the kind of heart that loves God more than his riches. And with man, it is impossible. So he has the absolute sovereign reign over all things, his omnipotence, is completely unlimited. His will is truly free. That is, God's will is truly free, unchanging. Therefore, his sovereignty is unrivaled. Why pray for the lost? Again, it is a means to his end. That all of his elect be drawn in, in time. And as I say always, on time. Because salvation is... Of the Lord. God is sovereign. Lord, we do thank you for your sovereignty. And Lord, those mysteries, so many of which we do not understand while we are here, many things seem so confusing. But again, as we look back at Scripture, the events which seemed hopeless, helpless, and incredibly confusing, um, from this end, we, we go back and we read and we do see how all things work together for your glory and the good of those who love you who are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us along the way um, on this side of the cross to entrust ourselves to you, the sovereign one. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.